0: it that God gets pushed to Sunday. I know hate's a tough word, right? It's a pretty strong word. But we live in a world in a time and an age where everything seems to be able to take all of our attention and take all of our time and take all of our energy, and so we end up pushing God to Sunday. And we come in here and we kind of take care of our duty, if you will. And then we move back into the realm in which we live day in and day out. And again, we push God off another six or seven days until we see Him again. As Michael said, and, and as we've talked about for goodness, two weeks now, it's been a really heavy time in our city and in our nation. And if there's ever been a time in which God needed to be present in every moment and every hour it was now? I work several jobs. I get up and preach because I enjoy it. And sometimes my other jobs push God to a certain time. (laughs) They allow me a certain period of time in which to focus on things that He has really called me to and is pointing me to. So it's when we tend to push God to those points, we tend to push God to, that, to, the, to the far reaches of our understanding, or not our understanding, but the far reaches of our experience, because everything else is so busy, and everything else is so, taking so much of our time, that God calls us to gets left in the background. Who God calls us to gets pushed to the side in favor of surviving another week favor of making it through one more time so we can do it all again. So the idea of love is not something we can grasp and carry forward into our everyday life because we're just trying to survive most days. Have you heard of thistle farms? Are you familiar with thistle farms? Thistle farms is a really, really positive organization. If you're over on the west side of town, there's a a cafe called Thistle Farms Cafe. There's a a whole group of things that they're doing. If you go to their website, the lady who stars name is Becca Stevens. She said, said, we believe love is the most powerful force for changing the world because love has the power to heal. That's not just empty platitudes from somebody. This lady, and you can go read her, her biography, and you can go read about her Five years old, her father died. Subsequently, she fell into a whole pattern of abuse and neglect that was really, really difficult on her life. And as she went through that, and this is my paraphrase, don't just hear what I'm saying, go and and learn about what she is and who she is. She decided that she needed to, she wanted, as she was going through that and trying to come out of that, she decided that she needed a place where she could love and she could heal and she could rebuild in a community, but she didn't have that. She determined, well, I'm going to go make that. In so 1997, she started her first home for survivors. And it started with five ladies who had either been in, in prostitution or had been trafficked or in an addiction and all these different places. And she wanted to provide a place for them just to exist for a little while. Not let the pressure of what life had pushed on them cause them to lose all sense of hope and all sense of who they were. And as she started that 97, 1997, she decided, well, I need to give them a way to get out of this, not just survive. And so in 2001, she started making started making candles in the basement of a church in Nashville. And so the idea of Thistle Farms was born. If you go on, onto their website, and you can buy these candles. And on this one, especially, it, it says love. In the top, it says love heals. Because that's her, her motto. That's her understanding. She's, she believes with all her heart, because she's experienced it, that love is the most powerful force in the entire world. And if there ever was a time in which the world needed to know and understand the love of God and the healing power of God, it's in this moment, in this time. It's as we look around and we look at the faces of our, of our children, we look around and we look at the faces of the people who are in charge of our children who take care of our kids that, that, that are in our schools, we look around and we see the society that we, that we are dealt with right now and that we look and we say, what's the answer? And you see, Proving that love is a powerful force for healing through candles. It's a cafe where you can go and you can get a meal and, and support this amazing ministry. It's too simple of an idea that love is all we need. because it's really simple, right? It's, it's incredibly simple. But we've been conditioned, right? We've been conditioned to believe The power resides with who? The power resides with the strong. The power resides with those who have the weapons and those who have the most powerful weapons. See, there's an inherent danger with trying to say, okay, no, I'm going to lead with love. because Leading with love lends itself to be taken advantage of, doesn't it? If you're going to love before you do anything else. Leading with love lends itself to being scoffed and mocked by those who, in this world, serve the power of this world, seek to want to be part of the power structures of this world. So, when we say we're going to lead with love, we're going to get looked at, we're going to get laughed at, right? We're going to be like, that's silly, you can't do that. It's kind of like running with scissors, right? As a kid, I constantly heard my mom and dad tell me, don't run with scissors. And now that I have two kids of my own, I, I hear myself saying that with more vigor and more emphasis. Don't run with scissors. Because you're running with something that can immediately do damage to you. You're running with something that can be used to hurt you. You see, when you attempt to love a world that is hurt, the reality, and this isn't just some catchy sticker philosophy, hurt people hurt people. That's the reality of life. If you've been hurt or damaged or have some type of trauma in your life, until we learn to deal with that and process through that, we will hurt other people. I sat across the table from people who intentionally hurt me and hurt other things that I was trying to do. And as I sat across the table from that and I witnessed that, one of the thoughts that flowed through my my mind was, who hurt you? Who damaged you to the point to where this is who you have become? See, that's the immense nature of the mission of Thistle Farms is dangerous, but it's also powerful because love is the key to helping people. Love is the key to healing people. But again, our humanity, right? Our humanity cries out, no, that is too simplistic. Love can't be the only solution. Love can't be the only thing. The only real key to power It's safety and security. The only real key to safety and security is power. You can flip that whichever direction you want to go. So our humanity begs us to trade an empty tomb for what? Death? Or destruction? Because love isn't the answer. Because if we decided that we want to lead with love, that would require a whole lot of us. A whole lot more than trying to maintain the power structures that we currently live in. It requires that we, in essence, run with metaphorical scissors, right? Jesus knew that. Jesus understood that. Jesus spent much of His ministry trying to extract from His followers what the world had poured into them, trying to unpack the theological mindsets that they had been ingrained with so that He could refill them with truth. How many times did Jesus say, you've heard it said, but this is the real truth. And He was constantly trying to pull them back from the edge and pull them back from the lure of the world that was calling to them with faith and ideas of power. I spent so much time trying to unpack what they were being taught and what they were learning that in the end, He was all alone on a cross. You see, the way of this world, the power structure of this world is death. They brought a woman before Jesus. They caught sinning and they said, Jesus, we got a stone her. That's what the law tells us. What did Jesus do? Jesus offered mercy. They come upon a blind man and they say, well, so obviously somebody did something bad. Somebody did something wrong. This man, somebody sinned that this guy did something wrong. Who sin? Tell us who it is. And Jesus is like, I, I'm just going to heal him. They wanted to know where the boundary for forgiveness was. Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? We do the math of like 70 times. seventy. So I've got to do what, 400 and something, right? And Jesus said, no, really there's not one. It wasn't just his teaching, right? It was Jesus' entire life. The way he lived his ministry was all about this idea that the power doesn't reside in this world, the power resides in that world. In John 19, where we talked through a couple of weeks ago, Jesus standing before Pilate during his trial, and Pilate looks at him, and Pilate wants Jesus to give him a reason to let him go, right? Pilate doesn't want to deal with this. Pilate's like, I don't want this. I don't want this. And so Pilate says, Jesus, don't you understand that I have the power to kill you? I imagine with the most serene voice either, Jesus says, you have no power. You have no power but what has been given you from heaven. I have chosen the cross. I have chosen this road. I have chosen to come this way. All through the accounts of Jesus' trial and his persecution and all the stuff that was going on, he had opportunity time and time again to pull his power up, to to garner his power, and to remove himself from that situation. And interestingly, it wasn't even the power structures of that day that were trying to kill Jesus, but the religious people. They wanted to kill Jesus. And why did they want to kill Jesus? Because they wanted to maintain power. Now let that sink in for a minute. The religious people were willing to kill the Messiah to maintain power. I was sitting in a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and the question was posed as we looked at this text, and we talked through this text. The question was posed, it says, what is there in our lives that we are willing to crucify Jesus for to maintain? A, that's a tough way to put it. That's a tough way to, to say it. And that could obviously, we could manipulate people and use guilt on people. And I don't want to do that. What I want us to do is, I want us to have this question. Because that's a, that's a question that us as a body of believers have to answer today. As churches struggle with worship styles, as churches struggle with women's roles. Churches struggle with gender issues. Churches struggle with alignment with power structures. The question that has to become part of that discussion is, will we allow Jesus to die here again so that we can maintain our comfort and so that we can maintain our control? I'm not suggesting in any way, form, or fashion that we abdicate what we believe. But what I am suggesting is that we lead with mercy and that we lead with grace and that we lead with love. As we go running into the world, as we go running into the burning buildings of this world, of our society, that we carry the one thing that can heal, which is love. Death cannot heal, power cannot heal, only love can heal. So, why are you here today? Are you looking for a a cross? are you looking for an empty tomb? Because regardless of whether you're here every week, or whether you're here once or twice a year, the message is the same. The cross is about death. The empty tomb is about life. The power of the story isn't on a cross, but in a resurrected Savior. Power and the, the power and the might of this world thought they'd won, right? They thought they had got Jesus. They'd got Him where they wanted. They killed Him. They got Him out of the way. But in the end, the love of heaven had the last word. So our text reads, After the Sabbath on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who went to, the tomb, went to, the, to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. Appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, "Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he what? Just as he said he would do. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go, then quickly go and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. Is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you." So the women hurried away from the tomb, and afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And you see, there's the power verse in this text. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. I believe that's a strong indicator, right, of where power lies in this world. It doesn't lie here, it lies there. As we read this story some 2,000 years later, as those women were at the tomb. That it, the angel didn't do that because he was the only one who could. The angel did that so Jesus could leave the tomb today, I hope that you seek to see and be reminded of an empty tomb because mercy and love came running to that tomb and mercy and love left running from that tomb. See the scissors if you want to keep the metaphor going that Jesus comes running with, that God comes running towards society with is mercy and grace and love. Those are the only true powerful ideas and the only true powerful realities that we have and that we know God knows the inherent risk. Jesus died on a cross because He led with love. Jesus died on a cross because He led with mercy. Jesus died on a cross because He led with grace. And yet even though He knows the risk, those risks and experienced those risks, He continues to run to us even when we allow Him to be crucified over and over and over and over again so that we can maintain whatever illusion of safety, security, rights, whatever it is that we have. There's no full stops in the Gospel, right? For those who gathered at the cross and heard Jesus cry, it is finished, they may have thought, well, yeah, it's, it's over now. For those who went to the tomb and saw the tomb being sealed up, they may have thought, yeah, I guess it's, it's over now. The empty tomb speaks to a completely different reality. The song from last Sunday, and the Spirit lit the flame. When the the women arrived at the tomb, the tomb was empty, and Jesus wasn't sitting there waiting for them to say, hey, look what I did. Jesus was already off on His mission. And so the angel said, hey, go and tell. They rushed off, and all of a sudden they see Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, go and tell. See, the empty tomb, is it magnificent? Absolutely, it's amazing and it's magnificent. But is it the end? No, it is not the end. Go and tell. Go and tell, but only use words if you have to. I keep hearing this phrase come up in different circles that I move in. We don't know what we don't know. The world doesn't know what it doesn't know. And if you were to listen today to some religious people, you'd be convinced that God is some gun-toting Republican on a warpath. And the world needs to know that our God is filled with love and filled with mercy and filled with grace. And He's running as fast as He can and as hard as He can to get to us, for us, and for the world. The reality is that we haven't done a good job of telling that story. He's not telling it accurately. Because all too often we opt for what keeps us comfortable and what we think keeps us safe. The story of God is everywhere. If you'll just open your eyes and look around and listen, you'll see the story of God is everywhere. It's woven into some of the strangest places in our lives. And if we'll just be aware, we'll be amazed. I read a lot of books. So I have these books that are, I call them palate cleansers. They're fictional books that I just read just to kind of break up my flow. So I've just got done reading the Potter series, Harry Potter. Now don't tell Greg Locke, but I just got done reading the Harry Potter series. About the past year, it's kind of been one of those books that I've read kind of off and on, or the series off and on. And there's this amazing thread that's pulled through the, pulled through the whole series that is the gospel, if there ever was the gospel. And there's this, there's this thought that Dumbledore, who is... I know all the names, all right? So there's Dumbledore, who is the, the, the wizard, right? The great wizard that mentors Harry. And there's this, this thread that he pulls throughout the whole series. He says, Harry, there's a difference between you and Voldemort. And that difference is... The difference is that your life is wrapped up in love and his life is wrapped up in death and destruction. And in the end, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. In the end, Voldemort gets destroyed, right? Because he cannot maintain his power because his power isn't real. The only real power in the whole series is the love that has surrounded Harry and got him to that point to where he has to fight the one thing, death, that stands before him. That's just one example, right? We all love to, to see stories and read stories and hear stories where power is evil and it's subdued and it's done away with. We want to read stories that are fictional or real where, where power is abused and those power structures are grasped are and they're done and they are just gotten away. And So easily when we read them, we realize the evil and we realize the bad stuff and, and we say, oh, that's just bad. You shouldn't do that. But in our own lives, what do we do? That's what we go after. That's what we seek to maintain. We, we chase after power. We chase after control. The table is full of so much meaning and so much encouragement. I hope today that you're reminded of an empty tomb. I hope that today you're reminded that we are part of a story that is bigger than you and I. That we are part of a story that if we want to be part of it, we have to lead with love and we have to lead with mercy and we have to lead with grace. And we're not just called to acknowledge those things as reality, we're called to live those things out in our lives. So I pray today as we leave here and we go out into the world that is trying to sandwich God into Sunday, that we run with grace and we run with mercy and we run with love to a world that is starving to hear those things. reminded today of the story that I hope that you fell in love with. A story where God came running after you with mercy. And God came running after you with grace. And God came running after you with love. I invites you again and again and again to be part of that story. Pray with me. God, for today, for an empty tomb, I am so thankful. Father, help us carry the reality, the the love, the mercy, the grace. Help us carry that to tomorrow. And help that inform who we are tomorrow and how we live tomorrow and who we decide to be tomorrow. Let that be the author of tomorrow for us. As we, as a body of believers, gather around the table, help us to be recharged with the reality of who you are at the reality of how you lead. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the life that He led. Thank you for the way that He died. Thank you for the fact that He didn't stay in the tomb. Help us to embrace that and that part of who we are. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in His name.